So I know the way we start is the Lord is risen. That's the right way, right? So the Lord is risen. So the funniest thing, last year, my wife had no idea that was the response, and my, neither my wife and I grew up in church at all. So her response was, woo! And uh, I'm like, so she felt a bit embarrassed. And we were talking about that this morning. I'm like, babe, that's the better response. Trust me. So if you uh, didn't know that, you didn't grow up in church, that's okay. Woot is totally appropriate as a response. So good morning and happy Easter. For those of you who are new here or if this is your first time, my name is Frank. I am one of the pastors here at Awaken Church. So a few things maybe kind of important to know about me. I'm married. I've been pastor here for a bit over 18 years. I am a critical optimist, which means generally I have a positive outlook on life, but I'm critical about it. Uh, I like the color black for some strange reason. I take showers most nights, but not every night, but I'm Chinese, so I don't smell bad, so that's totally okay. And if you were wondering, yes, I did shower last night, in case you got a hug from me and we're kind of questioning that. I am both Marvel and DC, so please don't try to make me choose. And I'm a bit of a dork, which means my sense of humor is more eye roll than belly laugh, and I'm okay with that. So if you're newer here, according to pastorharmony.com, that's what you need to know to decide whether or not we're compatible. So if we are compatible, great. What that means is you can trust me to pastor and shepherd your life for the rest of your life or the next 20 years, whichever one ends first. And if for some reason we are not compatible, according to pastorharmony.com, you just have to be patient and listen to me for the next 30 minutes because it would be rude to walk out on me now. All good? Awesome. So as a church, we're in the middle of a series that we have entitled Peacemakers, which is a series focused on, surprise, surprise, the topic of peace, which is, if you think about it, a really big and grandiose topic to tackle. In fact, it's a big, huge, grandiose topic for anyone to try and wrestle with. And a big part of it is because this idea of peace is such an elusive idea. Everybody wants it, but we don't always tend to know what it means or what it's supposed to mean. And that's why when, when beauty contestant com, uh, contestants are, uh, are asked what they wish for, their response is often, well, peace on earth, Steve. Or when we elect a president, what is it that we want our president to work towards? We want him to work towards world peace. When you attend a church or you go to a mosque or attend a temple or some join some religious group, what is it that you're hoping to find? You're hoping to find peace in some way, shape, or form. Inner peace, peace of mind. And so we all have this idea that we want peace, but we don't always know what it's supposed to mean. And of course, for a number of us, we certainly also don't know what peace is supposed to feel feel like. And so over the course of the past couple of weeks are what we've been wrestling with here on Sunday mornings is just trying to define what it looks like to have peace. And over the past couple of weeks, our focus of that peace has been on having peace with one another. And today we're going to go bigger. Today we're going to be focused on what it means to have peace with God. So before we dive in, I, I know this may seem silly, I just want to check to make sure. PastorHarmony.com, you know that's not real, right? I totally made that up. April Fool's, ha, 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 American joke, I can say that because I'm Chinese. So you see that? Eye rolls, look around, eye rolls, more than belly laughs, and I'm totally okay with that. That's me. So anyway, back on topic. 
Today our focus, this Easter, our focus is on what it means for us to experience peace with God. So here's where we're going to begin. I want to take a moment and I want to ask you this question. And I really want you to set aside distractions. Don't get distracted. Just focus one on this question. Take a moment to contemplate this question. Are you at peace with God? I mean that right now. Are you at peace with God? If I'm a betting man, I kind of am. I'm a Texas Hold'em guy. I would bet that most of you in this room are thinking, yeah, I'm at peace with God. I'm good with God. Or maybe, maybe a good is a bit too far, but, you know, I'm mostly good with God. God or I are, if not good, we're good enough. And my response to you, hopefully won't come across too offensive, is I really don't think you are. In fact, what I think you're really thinking, so we're getting meta here, what I think you're really thinking is that you're thinking, I don't have a problem with God, and translating I don't have a problem with God to I'm at peace with God, and they are not the same thing. And to circle back around, for most of you in this room, I don't want to throw everybody in this batch, but I believe at mo- for most of you in this room, I don't believe you're really at peace with God. And the reason why I don't believe most of you in this room are truly at peace with God is because most of us don't understand the ramifications of what it means to not be at peace with God. So here's what it looks like to not be at peace with God. It means you're worried about your future. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next year? I'm worried about whether or not I'm going to get married, if I'm going to get married, when I'm going to get married. I'm worried about having enough money to be able to pay our bills next week, next month, tomorrow. I'm worried that something's going to happen to me, happen to my family, happen to my kids. Worrying about your future is a reflection of your not being at peace with the God who holds your future in his hands. Another indication that you're not at peace with God, you have fears and you worry about death. Now, most of us in this room, we're not at a point in our lives where we're too worried about our death, but we are worried about people we love dying, afraid of what's going to happen when they die. And I know this is touchy, but I'm just going to say it anyway, but our fears and anxiety about death are a reflection of a lack of peace with God who has conquered death. Another indication that you're not at peace with God, you find that you can't really enjoy life. You want to, you try to, but each day as it comes, the day, when the day hits, you kind of wish you could, I could enjoy it, but when the day hits, you find out that your teacher just planned a pop test, a pop quiz that day. You go into work and your boss is yelling at you for something that you did wrong. You're having to stay late at work again and it's stressing you out. Your kids are driving you insane. Your inability to enjoy life is a reflection of your lacking peace with God who tells us to rejoice 
always. Are you freaking out about politics? You're freaking out about our crazy president. You're freaking out about mass shootings. You're freaking out about nuclear war with North Korea, with China taking over our country or having your identity stolen. All of your freaking out comes in large part because you are not at peace with God. So let me ask you again, in light of what I've just shared, are you at peace with God? Because if anything that I have just shared rings true for you, then you are probably not. Being at peace with God means much more than simply praying a prayer at some point in your life or attending church every Sunday or even the occasional Sunday. Being at peace with God means that we're in right relationship with God, and when we are, we're able to experience life the way God wants us to. And when that happens, then we have the ability to be freed from the worries, the fear, and the anxieties of the unknown. Those are the fears and worries that consume the world, but God says, I have come to save you and to free you from those fears and from those worries, and they have no power to consume us. So I want to take a look at a passage in the Bible written by an apostle named James that kind of helps us get a better idea of this idea of peace and why we might not have peace with God. So James is the brother of Jesus, if you can imagine that, growing up in a household where Jesus is your older brother. Try living up to that example. Anyway, James is the brother of Jesus, and he also becomes a disciple of Jesus, which is quite amazing because if you think about James growing up in the same household with his brother Jesus, who he saw pee and poop, and he decides to place his trust in his older brother Jesus as the son of God. That's incredible. And so James makes that commitment, and that says something about the life of Jesus. And as James is writing this this book of the Bible. And in writing, he is writing this interesting observation, which we're going to read in just a moment. And his interesting observation is about Christians who are not at peace with God. And this is what he writes to Christians who are not at peace with God. James chapter 4, verse 1. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. James is sharing something really interesting here, something that can be easily missed if we're not tuned in and careful in reading this through. What James has been doing throughout his book, so if you read the book of James in the Bible, there are five chapters, and what he's doing throughout these five chapters of the book of James is he's telling Christians how faith in God is revealed by how you live your life that those two ideas must flow together. What you believe is reflected in what you do. In other words, James has had enough 
of people who he saw claiming to be Christians, who claim the title, claim the privilege, but don't live the life. And that infuriates James because he, again, he grew up with Jesus. And he knew that Jesus was not just someone who uh, talked the talk, but he walked the walk. More than anyone, Jesus or James knew that that was true of his brother. And so he is writing this book to Christians who are talking the talk, but not walking the walk. And then they're complaining that, ah, oh, this Christianity thing, it doesn't work for me. And James says, you're being ridiculous. What do you think is causing all this fighting and arguing that's going on? You think it's God? No, it's your own evil desires at war within you that's causing all of this conflict. Why do you think you're missing out on the joy and peace of God? It's because you're not asking God for it. And then even when you are, you're asking selfishly for wrong motives. And that's why you're not receiving it. And James is telling them, look, guys, look, church, I told you what was necessary for you to have peace with God. And so as a reminder, we're going to take a a step back. Instead of James 4, we're going to move backwards to James 3 because this is something he'd already told them. In James chapter 3, verse 13 and then 17 to 18, he says, if you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life. Doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. He's saying there's a relationship between the two. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So James is saying, church, I want you to be wise. I want you to understand how God works. Live an honorable life, do good with humility, The best way to experience God's wisdom and God's life, right, wisdom from above, is going to be the best way for you to enjoy peace, joy, and experience mercy and righteousness, right? This is the key. There is a symbiotic relationship between living the way God wants you to live and then experiencing the fruit of that. There is a relationship between living the way God has called us to live, and then experiencing the fruit of that life. But it's a symbiotic relationship, not a causal one. Do you guys understand the difference between symbiotic and causal? A causal relationship basically says, if I do this, then that will happen. So if I slap you on the cheek, your cheek is going to turn red. If I push you hard enough, you're going to move backwards. That is a causal relationship. It's basically saying, if I do something, there's going to be a predictable, anticipated, clear, reliable response every single time. In other words, I slap you on the face, every single time your face is going to turn a little bit red. If I push you hard enough, every single time you are going to move backwards. Does that make sense? That is causal. If A, then B. That is not how God works. But... It's how a lot of Christians think God works, which is why so many people, even Christians, can get frustrated with God because God 
you told me if I do A, then B is supposed to happen, and I'm doing the right thing, and I'm not getting the predictable response. So in other words, I'm praying for a job, and God doesn't give me a job. Or I'm praying, you know, if I read the Bible every day, then God's supposed to tell me every single day what I'm supposed to do that day. But that is simply not how God says he works, and that's simply not the way God delivers on his promises. That's because, as James shared here, living the way God wants us to live and experiencing the fruit of that is not a causal relationship, it's a symbiotic one. So what's a symbiotic relationship? Symbiotic relationship, it's not cause and effect. It's a relationship that says it's going to be mutually beneficial because as we're working together to meet each other's needs. In other words, in a symbiotic relationship, both parties are blessed because we do the things that each other wants and needs. So my relationship with Rocky is a symbiotic relationship. If you don't know who Rocky is, that is my dog. So my part in this symbiotic relationship is I make sure that mutt is fed, walked, cared for, and loved. And in return, when I come home, most of the time, he greets me with excitement. He puts his little paws on my leg, and I have to pet him a little bit. Um, He cuddles with me. He licks my feet. And uh, that's the type of stuff that my dog does. So that's his part, and I do my part, and we have this nice symbiotic relationship. But you understand, symbiotic relationship is not causal. Sometimes I'll tell Rocky, come here, and he doesn't show up. Does that make sense? He's, there's times when I want to play with him, and he's not necessarily wanting to play. But the relationship we have is mutually beneficial. That's how relationships often work. And that is how God is with us. And this is what James is teaching in this passage. So if you go back to that passage, when it's why James writes the way he writes. So he's writing about these ideas that there's a mix of things that happens when we do stuff. There's a mix of, mix of action and fruit that happens in this passage. So he's talking about plant seeds of righteousness or plant seeds of peace, reap righteousness. He's not saying this is what you do, then this is what you get. He's just saying that when you do these things, this tends to happen. Don't show favoritism. Be sincere. See the fruit of good deeds. So coming back and circling back around to what we're talking about this morning, experiencing peace and being a peacemaker are symbiotically related. Experiencing peace and living peace can't be separated from one another. They're designed to be mutually beneficial, and if one part fails to do their part, the other part is inevitably going to start dropping off as well. And that's why I shared earlier that if you're a person who is anxious about the future, if you're a person who's afraid of death, if you're a person who's distressed about daily life, then you cannot also be a person who is at peace with God. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just telling you that's what the Bible says. Those ideas are incompatible. So let's circle back around to where we began. Because what we started today was not just talking about why you're not at peace with God. Where we started is what does it look like for us to have peace with God? And for those of us who are Christians, we believe that peace with God begins with Jesus. More specifically, peace with God begins with the Easter story. 
You know, when most of the world thinks about Jesus, they don't think about the Easter story. They think about the Good Friday story. The Good Friday story is Jesus crucified on a cross, taking on the burdens and the penalty of our sin and dying on our behalf. That is the Good Friday story. I told I asked my wife on Good Friday. I still don't know why Good Friday is called Good Friday. It wasn't good for Jesus necessarily, but it was probably pretty good for us. The death that we deserved was taken on by Jesus. The penalty of sins that we were supposed to pay, Jesus paid instead for us so that we might be set free. That is the Good Friday story. But it's not the Easter story. The Easter story is the story of the resurrection. The Easter story is how three days later, later, Jesus rose from the dead. And when he did so, the incredible significance of the resurrection is without the resurrection, Jesus would not have been savior. He simply would have been martyr. And martyrs don't require the son of God. Savior does. And so, Over 500 witnesses saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. And if you understand the significance of the resurrection, then you also understand something else, what distinguishes Christianity from every other religion in existence. Every other religion in the world is built upon a belief system. It's built upon a set of morals. It's built upon something that we believe is true. But Christianity is not. Christianity is built upon an act of history. So we can argue and we can debate morals. We can argue and we can debate beliefs. But what you can't debate with is an act of history, something that actually happened. And that is what makes Christianity different and distinct from every other faith out there. You can argue against maybe what God says, but you cannot argue against the fact that Jesus, that a man died, rose from the dead, claiming to be God, predicting that he was going to do this, and then actually doing it. And that amount of evidence of changed lives, right, is, is, is the proof of the Easter story. So I'm sharing all of this to say that with the resurrection of Jesus, something very interesting happened. So Jesus appears after the resurrection to the women. He appears to a couple on the road to Emmaus. He appears to 10 disciples. And in the book of John, the Bible records this in John chapter 20, verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Then suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And he spoke. He showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So two things I want you to note here from this passage. The first is that Jesus says, peace be with you be with you, twice. Before Jesus showed up, these disciples were not at peace. They were worried, they were anxious, they were fearful, and with good reason, the Jewish leaders were looking to do them harm. And so before Jesus showed up, they were, these disciples were a lot like us, worried, anxious, and a bit fearful. And so what does Jesus do? The resurrected Jesus, first thing he does when he shows up, he says, peace 
be with you. Because this is what I want you to experience. What my presence should bring you is peace. That is why we have spent our Easter Sunday talking about peace, because the Easter story reminds us that what Jesus offers us, maybe first and foremost beyond salvation and eternal life, is peace with God and peace among one another. The Easter story reminds us that God is more powerful than death, so that if we put our trust in Christ, we don't have to fear death either. The Easter story reminds us that God is good and that God is for us. And so if we believe that is true, then what do we have to be stressed about? What is there to worry about? The joy that God wants us to experience cannot be stolen by anything in the world because there's nothing in the world that can quench God. That's the first thing I wanted you to notice. The second thing I wanted you to notice is there's actually someone who is missing from this story right now, someone who's pretty significant, and his name is Thomas. Thomas missed this first Sunday missed seeing the resurrected Jesus. And we'll read his response in the next verses. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers in them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. This is how he starts again. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So here's Thomas, and despite the fact that his closest friends have told him, I, we have seen the resurrected Jesus, this Jesus, our friend who we saw die but told us he was coming back to life again, we actually saw him alive and well. But Thomas, because he was not there that first Sunday night, even though his best friends are telling him this is true, refused to believe. Unless I see Jesus with my own two eyes, unless I put my finger in the holes of his wrist and in that wound in his side, I am not going to believe. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus shows up just for Thomas. And he shows up, and the first thing he says is, Thomas, I know that you're distressed right now. You're finding this really hard to believe. Peace be with you. I am here, now believe. I think there are a number of you in this room who can relate to Thomas. That's just the type of person you are. You've got to see things with your own two eyes before you believe. And that's okay. We need people like you in the world, people who are grounded, have their feet on the ground, and like to have things touched. And, but there is, you just have to understand that that's who you are. There is a difference between disbelief and obstinance. Disbelief says, I need some clear evidence before I can believe this is true. Obstinance, obstinance says, I don't, want, I don't believe because I don't want to. If you're in the second camp, 
You're in the I don't believe because I don't want to. And you're here this morning because you were kind of forced to be here, but you've already made up your mind about this Jesus stuff. Then I simply want to say to you, I am sorry. I know what it feels like to be forced to do something that you don't want to do. And I apologize that this morning has been a waste of your time. And I'll simply pray that there will come a point in your life down the road when Jesus is going to be a bit more meaningful for you. And when that time comes, I pray that you're going to be open to him. But if you're here and you're in the first camp, that, you know, I'm not sure I believe. And part of the reason is because of the way I am. I just need to see things myself. You've never quite taken the plunge and gone all in with Jesus. But you've heard what I've had to share this morning about peace and about the Easter story. Then I simply want to ask you, what is left, right? What is keeping you from taking that step of faith and doing a deep dive with Jesus? If you're really to think about it, what is keeping me from taking that step? leap of faith. Because that's what's required, you know. God doesn't have a whole list of standards and things that you need to live up to or live by. We tend to think that. We tend to think that we need to get our lives in order before God will accept us. But that's not the issue. The issue is always belief. Will you believe? Will you put your trust in Jesus? Put your faith in the Son of God? That is what is required to access all of the promises that God offers to his kids, the gift of God's Holy Spirit, eternal life, peace with God. You know, I get it. I know that uh, we Christians, we've got our fair share of hypocrites. We've got our fair share of Christians who don't necessarily represent God all that well. But if you think about it, that's true of every group. Every group's got the people that you probably would rather not represent that group. But that doesn't change the fact that there are some really amazing Christians in your life, some really amazing Christians who aren't flashy, who just live faithful and faith-filled lives day after day, and you admire and respect them. As a matter of fact, maybe even one of them brought you to church this morning. And my question for you is, having seen that as well, are you going to let this opportunity pass Is your life really so wonderful and amazing that you could do with discarding what God promises and wants you to have? As a church, we we have these cards that we hand out that tell people about our church. They point to our website. But on the back, it shares a really simple and straightforward passage of Scripture. It's just one verse, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the reason why we put that passage on the back is because it has a lot of power. And what God is saying in this passage is the wages of sin is death. And if we understand what a wage is, wage is something we earn. And so what God is saying is what we earn when we sin, and sin is any time we deviate from what God wants for us. So what we earn every time we walk away from God or turn our backs on God or do something God is not pleased with What we earn is death, and that death isn't just that we die. Everybody dies, but that death is eternal separation from God. That is what we earn every time we walk our own way and ignore God, and that's what God says is the consequence, but the gift of God, and you understand a gift is not something you earn. gift is something you were given. God says the gift of God is eternal life, and this is what God is offering. He's saying, look, what you've earned is death, to be separated from me for all eternity. What I'm offering you is eternal life through my son. 
What is required of you is that you believe and put your faith. Is that not something you would accept? So in a moment, I'm going to close this out with a time of prayer, and then Larry's going to come up, and we're going to run through announcements. But if you're here today, and you're like, you know, I am willing to consider taking that leap of faith with God. Maybe I'd like a little bit more evidence, but I will say this. I know that I could stand to experience a bit more peace in my life. And if being at peace with God allows me to experience that, I'm willing to take a shot. And if that's where you are, fantastic. I'd love for you after we pray and close out our service and as everyone's going out and run their Easter egg hunts and having fun hanging out, why don't you just come up and just grab me for a moment and let's talk for a bit. Or if it's too intimidating to come up to a six-foot Chinese man, and then that's fine. I, I know that I scare people, you know, but then just talk to a friend who brought you here or someone that you felt comfortable here this morning. But just don't walk away and not do anything at all. Also, by the same token, maybe you're in this room and you're like, I do have a relationship with God. I know I do, but I haven't experienced peace in a long time, and I'd like to get back on the right track. And if that's where you are, too, you can feel free to grab me as well. And I'd love to take a few moments with you or take a few moments with a trusted friend. There are a lot of people in this room who would be excited about the opportunity to help you get your feet back on the right track. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning and for this time and for the opportunity for us to come into your presence. Thank you that you're a God of peace, and that is what the Easter story is all about. The Easter story is about you conquering death and telling us by that act of conquering death that we have nothing to worry about, that if we put our trust and our faith in you, our faith will be secure, our lives will be secure, and we can be at peace with you. And if we're at peace with you, God, there is nothing else in the world that can shake our peace. We love you so much. And we're so excited about the opportunity we have today to celebrate, to have fun, to enjoy time with our family, to enjoy all the many blessings and good things you desire to give to us, oh Lord. And we thank you for being a good father and to realize that's what good fathers do, is they make life a lot better for their family. And I just thank you, God, that that is what you do for us. We love you so much. I pray for those of us here who are maybe kind of a bit worried, maybe haven't experienced peace, or maybe don't even know you, and I pray that you'd give them the courage to take the step of faith, to initiate and talk with someone they trust, to come talk with me, to come to talk to one of the pastors or leaders here, God, and just say, I am willing to take this step. What is required? That's a bold step, and I pray that you give them the courage to take it. In Jesus' name, amen.